What's up, everyone? You're listening to Hey Man, the advice podcast for men. Each week, we answer one of your questions and hopefully get a few of our own questions answered as well. I'm Avi Klein. My co-host Sam is out this week. Our guest is Noah Rubenstein. Noah is a board-certified acupuncturist, herbalist, and the chief clinic director of the Inova Center, an acupuncture and fertility clinic in New York City. He also happens to be an EMT. We talk about his background, working in emergency services, his transition into learning about Eastern medicine, and the importance of cultivating balance before moving on to our advice question of the week. One of the things that we're starting to do that's a little bit different from the way we've done the show in previous episodes is just sort of leading with a little bit about the theme from the question. I'll, I'll read the question later, but um, the theme in this question is the the writer is someone who's sort of struggling with feeling like uh, like he doesn't fit in anywhere in his life. And so I was just wondering if that's a theme that resonates at all with you, um, if you have any personal experience with that or or the opposite. Meaning like me feeling like I don't fit in? Like, yeah, do you that, like, is that something you can ever relate to in your life? Of course. I think everybody relates to that <laughs> at some point. People feel like they, like we want to be connected to other people and we want to be connected to ourselves. And like, that's, that's a huge part of being human is just being, finding your tribe, finding mm-hmm. your group. We're naturally, we're naturally built like we're hardwired for that. We're, we are tribal yeah, and clan like, and, um, and it's really difficult for people sometimes when they either can't find their tribe, when they feel isolated, alone, um, whether the tribe that they're after being is, is the right one for them and really theirs, or sometimes it's not, but what was the process for you? Like in terms of finding a place where you feel like it, it was your tribe. Like, how'd you do that? I think, I mean, I've had a lot of tribes in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, we, there, there are different spheres, different spaces where, you know, they're my friends. They're the people that I connected with in high school that I knew these are my people. Yeah. This is my tribe. And people, the, the grownups in my life said, that's nice. You've got some friends, but you'll make your real lifelong friends later. And that's not the case. The people I learned, met when I was in my early teens, like they're lifers. That's, that's a, yeah, that's my tribe. Um, at the same time, there, there are other tribes, you know, I've always been in healthcare in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And that tribe is is another one that group of people who I do feel connected to yeah um through this this other common thread of connection and through connection over over wellness over health yeah I, I actually that's a good transition because I was wondering you know for for myself and for just about every therapist that I know like being drawn into therapy in particular is it's deeply personal, you know? Um, I think we're all just feel so well acquainted with pain in our own lives and, and wanting to master it in some way. And that's what first draws people into therapy, whether they know it or not. Um, I was sort of wondering, is it, is it similar for, um, on the other side, uh, working with the physical body? Is that, was that something that drew you into it or was it for other reasons that got you into healthcare? Well, what originally got me into healthcare was different than what it's been a process. It's been a journey. Um, but that idea of 
the wounded healer, uh, the person who comes to healthcare in part because they may want to help other people, but they also, they have that personal experience. They identify with, with pain, whether it's physical, psychic, emotional, spiritual. And that's, that's what brings, I'd probably say most people into the healing professions, whether it's physical medicine, surgery, therapy, acupuncture. You know, one of the things about Chinese medicine is we, we have a different way of seeing the body and Mm -hmm. healthcare Mm -hmm. um, and health. And it's not that it's better than conventional medicine. I mean, I'm a paramedic as well, Mm -hmm. and there's a right time and a right place and an appropriate place for both. But one of the things that drew me to Chinese medicine was the philosophical underpinnings of it that connected, not only gave me a model for understanding my body, but also drew, connected the dots of, of my experience between my physical self, my emotional self, my psychological self, my place in the, in the world, society, in the universe. Like yeah. this is what we do. The, the macrocosm being a reflection of the microcosm and, and vice versa. Do you mind sharing like a little the specifics of your experience? Like what were you looking to maybe understand about yourself or what, what pulled you in? Well, I mean, my earliest experiences with Chinese medicine involve mm-hmm. my mother dragging me and my very young brother down to Chinatown uh-huh. to go get herbs uh-huh. that we didn't understand and nobody spoke the same language as anybody else in the room. And what decade is this? We're, we're talking early 1970s. Uh-huh. And we would, all I know is we'd go home with bags of twigs and leaves and sticks and stems and the apartment would stink. <laughs> and she would drink this stuff and be like, mm, try it. Uh-huh. it. It was just, it was awful. Um, fast forward couple of decades and I've spent time, you know, I've gone to school, I've studied, I've been in the music industry and like anybody with a liberal arts education, I wound up a bike messenger, which (laughs) I know a few of those. Yeah. Bike messenger waiter. Um, but started feeling a calling back to healthcare in one form or another. And I've always had a bit of an interest in emergency care. Um, that's no pun intended. Like that's in my blood. It just always, always has been. How so? Um, I think it starts around five years old. I grew up on the block of the Red Cross. And it was this, where I grew up, there's this building and it was this plaza around the building that had these mirrored windows. And it was always fascinating. Like, what goes on in there? What's on the other side of these windows? And where is the, where is that? It used to be on 66th street in Broadway. Uh Um, there's an apartment building there now. Got it. Um, and one day I looked, cut my hands over the window and my eyes and I looked inside and I saw all these people sitting in chairs with these tubes coming out of their arms, bleeding into these bags and they were donating blood. Yeah. But my instinctive reaction was just like, cool. Uh That's awesome. Um, and that combined with a couple of other experiences, including like my beloved black and white cat who got cut and wasn't hurt or suffering, but the fascination mm. at, again, a really, really young age. Um, when I say it's in my blood, it's just, it's, it's always it's been just something. always been drawn. Yeah. yeah. Um, so heading back, um, I became a paramedic in New York city. I did that in the early nineties. What was that? Like? And <laughs> that was, that was, 
I would say it's like everything you'd expect it to be. But if if being a paramedic was what people thought it was being like, then it would nobody. be then it'd be insane, and nobody would still be here. I used it's, to work um, at uh, St. Luke's Hospital uptown, uh-huh. and in in their uh, outpatient psych- psychiatric unit. Sure. But like, I mean, obviously, we'd have to call paramedics sometimes, and. That was like one little sliver of what I imagined paramedics have to see, but that was crazy. Right. Um, and so. And I, when was that? That that was recently. I mean, that was, I right. mean, that was like maybe uh, five, five to seven years ago. Right. Um, so early nineties seems like a different ball game to me. Different ball game, a very different city, different world. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it was a different place. You know, New York's homicide rate wasn't around, 200 plus it was more like 2000 plus it was you know there's guns crack aids and you know not to glorify those things but it was just it was a different place how so how old were you when you were doing this 20s 30s was that traumatizing for you like uh to be i'm i mean did people i'm assuming you watched people die sometimes yeah yeah watched people dying yeah um and it is traumatizing. Yeah. Um, it's, it was in some ways less so for me, I think, because early in my career, I had a job one day that I had a day that was just awful. And the day cadenced with a really just gut wrenching combination of, five-year-old brother and sister and fire. Oh my God. And it was the, it was the most traumatizing thing I had ever experienced seeing. Yeah. Um, certainly that had nothing to do really directly with, with my life. Um, except there I was witnessing this and sort of responsible for trying to make a difference. Mm. And, you know, we, we got them to, the hospital and I stayed in there and I worked with the doctors for a while and they both, you know, they both died. Wow. Um, that led to the most Kubrickian moment of my life where I went home and was so devastated by the whole thing. Um, wound up in my bathroom, which was this old New York pre-war like white tile yeah. and chrome yeah. turn the hot water on in the tub and the sink and the shower and just steamed the place as much as I could. Mm. I created the closest thing to a womb mm. that I could mm-hmm. and just like collapsed in a fetal position. Wow. Um, and just sobbed. Um, because one of those lifer friends was my roommate and mm. I had, people to connect with that yeah. night. Um, I was able to sort of offload and deep and just get a lot of that out of me and, and knew the next morning I would wake up and go back and either give them their badge and their uniform back and be like, there is, this is not what I yeah. signed up for. Um, or I'd be in and it turned out that it was the latter. And that doesn't mean I was impervious to anything in the future, but that was in my professional career, probably one of the worst days of my life. I can't imagine. And, yeah. um, and it, and it, it set a bit of a mark, a benchmark for not 
is it as bad as that was, but it, it, it was a baptism mm-hmm. is what it was. I'm sort of curious, like, um, you know, like nowadays we talk so much about, um, trauma informed care and things like that. People are so much more aware of trauma and PTSD. And, and I am just assuming that, that I don't know if that mindset was at present, was so present for you and your coworkers at the time, but the fact that people like, like that people wanted you to talk about it or were available to you. Like, I'm just sort of curious what that looked like. Um, the people that were there for me, yeah. um, were, were my people, uh-huh. um, at the time, especially, I mean, I worked with people and they were, again, it was a bit of a tribe. And so I had them, the people who I worked with, the ones who understood yeah. what nobody else understood. Yeah. Fortunately, and it's an interesting question when we talk about tribes in different spheres of our own yeah. individual lives. I had somebody who, in my life, who was mine, was my life and not my professional EMS life, uh-huh. but who could stand looking into mm. that globe. Mm-hmm. And it was because I was able to kind of bridge the two with somebody else. Yeah. That was, as I ta- say it now, that was incredibly healing and helpful. Um, a lot of the time when, when we're traumatized in one part of our life, I think it's hard to connect to the other parts of our lives because it becomes this sort of encapsulated time or place or event. And that's something that people in the emergency services world to this day, even though we're miles ahead of where we were, even though we're post 9-11, mental health in the emergency services, fire, law enforcement, and emergency medicine is is a real issue because the job has changed a bit and yet we haven't, it's not even a blame thing. Sometimes support is inadequate, but we don't always know how to, to meet those needs. Uh, they're not met though. I know that just from what I know of people who are still on the job. I've heard the same thing and, and we've had a couple of veterans on the show. Right. And, um, and I mean, there's sort of, there also seems to be a tendency, like I'm just thinking about what they've shared of like a kind of, um, I don't I'm trying to think of the right word. Like I was going to say closing ranks, but like just sort of like, you know, getting more insular, just relying on, um, the people who, who you think understand. And yet nobody really necessarily wants to talk about it or like, they don't want to, like they get it, but you don't have to talk about it. And then a feeling of estrangement from everyone else. Cause nobody can un- like the people outside of that world don't understand you. And it just kind of, that sort of seems like part of the trauma is the isolation that comes from that. Totally. And it happens that over the recent years there, you know, I think there's been an uptick of awareness in both the PTSD of veterans and with that, um, an uptick in awareness of law enforcement, again, the emergency yeah. And, yeah. and emergency medicine. Like and first responders. First responders. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but that, that phenomena that you're talking about where, as you put it, they kind of close ranks where there's an identity, an identification of common experience. Yeah. Um, there's that, but that's also not the space where there's always a willingness to get over 
what we can loosely call the the machismo factor right where it's like i can do it yeah and i'm okay and i may not know how to talk about it but i don't really need to talk about it um so it's an issue mm-hmm. and it's and it's a problem yeah uh and God knows there's still fallout from September 11th. And that was almost two decades ago. Yeah. To jump ahead a little bit, like right. um, how did you make the switch to Chinese medicine, acupuncture? There was a point in 1995 where it, it was one of those natural, like you're going to take this road or that road. Uh, it was a moment of transition where I would have either like kind of, double down on my time with EMS or started looking at other things. And I realized that I wanted to stay in healthcare. I started to extract myself from other possibilities and I just didn't want to stay on an ambulance for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so started looking at possibilities and I was thinking about becoming an MD, a chiropractor. I, I was considering the whole range of things and I had had some experience with acupuncture Um, again, my mother kind of dragging me into some guy's office, but it worked really, really well. And it, how old were you when you got, I mean, getting needles stuck into you is not something that everyone's super gung ho about. Exactly. Well, this wasn't until I was 19. Uh So this was like years later, but I wasn't into it, but I was desperate. Um, so I went, uh, it worked and I, I guess I just kind of pocketed that information. So fast forward a few years and it's a real consideration. And I started thinking about it and I spoke to other people I knew who were acupuncturists and started thinking about what that would mean to me. Like what, what is the difference between Eastern and Western medicine? And is that meaningful? And is it something that I'd be interested in, you know, pursuing? And it, it wasn't, when I say I was asking myself that question, it wasn't really a question. Mm-hmm. It was clear right from the beginning that this was a more more in resonance with with what was important to me. So started you, going to school. Can you speak to that? What like what felt resonant for you? So first my experience with Chinese medicine showed like that acupuncture treatment showed me it worked. It worked. (laughs) And that was insane. You know, this guy stuck some needles in me, no medication or anything else. And suddenly I'm out of pain. Yeah. So that was remarkable. And then, you know, I was dabbling in like Buddhist thought and Taoist thought and meditation. And so I was, I had this slowly percolating and evolving sense of spirituality as well started reading things and understanding the connections between your body and your mind Mm -hmm. and your experience in the world. And that these things are not only connected, but your body and your mind and your spirit and your energy, that these are all actually the same thing, just different expressions of, of you. Yeah. And that was extraordinary because it answered so many questions. You know, you could put it in the simplest terms when you're, when you're sick, you're grumpy. And when you're in a shitty mood, you're more likely to get sick. And yeah. just at that level, yeah. there is connection. And so when you blow that up and start to really look at our greater experience, um, there's connection between different parts of our, of our body where what's going on in one system really has an effect on another. And there are connections to be made between me and... Again, 
the universe mm-hmm. and everything in between. Um, and at a time when I was, you know, when I was looking at making this move in my life, I was in a super mechanical protocol driven, like if this, then that world of emergency medicine. Interestingly, the being an acupuncturist, being a paramedic is more like being an acupuncturist in a lot of ways than it is like being a conventional doctor. Okay. Because in both cases, there are, there are pretty simple principles that are driving it. Like mm. there are a couple of pumps, mm-hmm. there are holes that should be there, and then you don't want to see other holes. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, like yeah. the ideas are pretty simple. Yeah. But in emergency medicine, you often find yourself in situations where it looks like something and it sounds like something, and yet it's not that. And the thing that makes you exceptional at what you do as a paramedic is is this mm-hmm. pointing to my nose yeah you, you know is is your ability to distill the the noise yeah. and, the, and what looks like the obvious stuff from what's really meaningful yeah. and underlying and that's the same thing that we do in chinese medicine people come to us all the time with what they think are the problems and we're not dismissive of those things but there is a deeper truth or there's something that you know not everybody in the room is seeing and we identify that and that's how we make meaningful change in people's lives whether it's their health or yeah. or emotions um so it, in a in a lot of ways it it's a much more natural segue yeah. than you'd think i don't think i really i don't personally know a lot of other men who um who see acupuncturists or who have tried it um and i was wondering if that's i mean you have much more experience with that like uh, we were wondering if that's a gendered thing, if men are are more reluctant to try it or, or, or if that's not the case. No, men are, men are more reluctant yeah. to try it. Yeah. Uh, men are more reluctant to do a lot of things yeah. in healthcare <laughs> yeah, than women. Yeah, that's very true. Because of a list of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, in our practice, I mean, in our practice, we, we have a general practice. And first, let me, let me segue by, yeah. let me start by saying men actually do participate in, participate in it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Acupuncture is something that, among other things, is great for, for pain and for stress and sleep mm-hmm. and digestive problems. And those are, those are pretty safe spaces for guys mm-hmm. to, to kind of, check it out. Yeah. You know, those are, those are, those are roots in that aren't like crazy exposing. Yeah. It's not like I've got erectile problems and I'm going to try acupuncture. Right. Um, so, and there are a lot of guys who try it yeah. for that yeah. and think martial arts, you yeah. know, it's through things like acupuncture and herbs and stuff that martial artists, you know, who are out there, getting beat up and have to go out the next day and do it again. Mm-hmm. This is, this is how we heal them. Their this recovery is how they, process. This yeah. is recovery. Um, so on the level of physical medicine, yeah. whether it's like aches, pains, just daily grind stuff or broken bones, yeah. you know, there's a tradition of bone setting and meaning like chiropractic as well as dealing with type of things, adjustments and um, therapeutic massage. Mm-hmm. So physical medicine along the lines of, physical therapy, massage, chiropractic, like the things that were more recognizable to us. Yeah. 
Like we do that and yeah. guys take advantage of that kind of stuff yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm in a slightly different position because I'm at a clinic that while we're a general practice and we treat everybody from two weeks old to 95 years old mm -hmm. and asthma to allergies, everything under the sun, the reality is our, our main focus is women's reproductive health. Yeah. So we definitely skew in that direction. Yeah. What that means is when, when our sort of demographic shift, gender demographic shift, uh, balance shifts a bit, yeah. we can recognize it. And I wind up treating a lot of the guys and it's, it's an interesting process. Um, when they're coming in with some trepidation or some reluctance because their wife told them to come in like that happens like their wife told them to come in because their like sperm count is low or something like that or sometimes it's something like that sometimes it is you know they're stressed their back hurts and mm -hmm. whatever they've been doing if anything isn't working mm -hmm. um guys tough it out yeah you know and so getting back to the original idea like they're not the first ones to explore to be aware and then to ask questions based on that awareness and then to try novel things. Mm -hmm. um, and so when they do come, um, I can see like where they are on that, on that spectrum. And a lot of the time there's a lot of resistance. There may be um, a lot of disbelief. I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, but the medicine works. And sometimes depending on what's going on, it's, as you put it, like a gentle, good experience mm -hmm. and it dials down the stress a little bit mm -hmm. and it gives somebody just enough relief that they're like, okay, this is, this is pretty good. I'm glad I did it. I didn't get hurt. It didn't get worse. Yeah. But without a doubt, there are plenty of times that people come in, guys included, where it's just like, oh shit, I cannot believe how much better I feel after just 30 minutes lying there where it has a really dramatic positive experience. Well, that's, so I, I'm always, uh, sort of, uh, I feel like revealing something about myself on this show that like you can, you can read into it as much as you yeah. want. But, um, uh, you know, one of the things that I found pretty hard, um, personally doing acupuncture is like just lying there and like, um, really sort of re receiving, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, allowing myself to be taken care of in that way. And I was wondering if I was alone in that or it, it, my assumption is maybe that's like more of a gendered thing, but maybe that's just a personality thing. Um, if that's a piece of, of acupuncture that men might be uncomfortable with is just sort of like, you have to sort of like just relax for a little while and not do anything. And I found that pretty hard to do. I think it can be complicated. Like yeah. part of it, um, part of it may be that very thing that you're talking about where it's hard for me to accept receiving, mm -hmm. to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. And we can spend a long time talking about you're what you're sitting in the therapist chair. So we could talk yeah. about, it. <laughs> this is, all right. um, and, and we can spend a long time talking about where that comes from. Yeah. Um, part of it's mysterious and, I don't understand what this works and dude's brains are kind of like, okay, so he, he did it here. He did it there. He did it there. Yeah. What are these points? I get asked yeah. by guys a lot more like, okay, so what are the points and what are we doing and how does this work? Totally. I have the same in, as a therapist. People want to know like, why am I doing this? What's the point of, yeah. Right. And so 
I think it's fair. It's not even a question. Like guys are less likely like this half of the population is not as quick to just be like, okay, let go and soften yourself and receive Mm -hmm. and watch what happens. Yeah. We're much more about, you know, power through. You can do more to affect the change that you want to affect. And it's not just a gender thing by any stretch, but it makes dudes crazy when they can't dot, dot, dot. I can't go out this weekend. I can't, you know, get back on the court. I can't do that. And so all different ways of seeing the same thing where stillness and quiet and receiving and stopping and trying something new, trying something new doesn't fall into that category, but this idea of stillness Mm -hmm. as an option for transformation or facilitating it, it's, it's not what we do. And that's where things like acupuncture comes in, or that's one of the upsides to acupuncture meditation, like cultivating stillness, cultivating stillness. Yeah. Meditation is huge. I get all my patients to do it. It's uh, if Sam was here. He talks about meditation every episode. I know, I know. <laughs> but, and when I hear him talk about it, I'm like, right on, because that's, that's really important. And, you know, understanding meditation and why we do it, that's, yeah. that's another conversation, but just the ability to be responsive in a way that's appropriate in a given moment for that moment, mm-hmm. um, which includes being able to just dial down, relax, mm-hmm. be still, receive. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be a real challenge for us. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know who you've seen, but not all acupuncturists are the same. And that's one of the things in an, that I wind up having conversations with people a lot yeah. about. There's, we people become acupuncturists for a whole host of reasons. Yeah. And some of them, sometimes it's the right acupuncturist for you. Yeah. Sometimes they're not the right acupuncturist. Sometimes they're just, they're awful. Just to play devil's advocate for a second. Mm-hmm. Like why, why do you think um, anyone, but maybe men in particular, why should they try and cultivate more stillness or practice receiving? Like what, what would be beneficial about that? We can always, do more we there's a constant pressure on us to turn it up we work longer hours we have more news and information through the internet and through news services in front of us we have economic goals and we're constantly on and when we're committed to being on we sometimes lose perspective Mm -hmm. and so dialing down and being still sort of hits a, it, it has a, a range of benefits. One of them first being perspective. When you begin to clear your, your head a bit, and that doesn't mean completely clear your mind. That's one of the sort of misconceptions right. about meditation that you're going to empty your mind. You're not going to empty your mind, yeah. but you're going to learn how to focus your mind on one thing. Yeah. That's what meditation is, right? Focusing on something to the exclusion of everything else. So when you can focus on one thing, then you can learn how to focus on two things. And then you can learn how to focus on a hundred things. But if, while we get tremendous kudos in our day-to-day lives for being able to multitask, I'm a great multitasker to the point where some people would say I'm scattered. Mm-hmm. And we all, we all walk that line mm-hmm. all the time. 
And being able to multitask is a great skill to have, but not if it comes at the expense of being able to stay focused. Mm -hmm. And so cultivating that skill of being able to dial back and stay still and stay focused on one thing, um, one, cultivates an ability to focus, but also gives you an experience of something that the world isn't always giving you. Mm -hmm. That is, in fact, is really intrusive on. And we, we need to actively cultivate it to keep balance. Mm -hmm. And balance is a funny word, right? Like when we say balance in Chinese medicine, it sounds really woo and kind of out there. But when we talk about balance, what we're talking about in conventional medical terms, if you remember back to high school science, mm -hmm. is homeostasis. Mm -hmm. And that, on the other hand, is a big sciencey word, but the meaning is to have multiple things going on and be able to self-regulate and thrive in yeah. a changing environment. It feels it's tough nowadays, I guess, like, um, being driven seems antithetical to balance, you know, <laughs> they don't, um, it seems hard to hold both at the same time. It, it is when they become mutually exclusive mm -hmm. and there's look, there's a time to turn it on. Yeah. There's a time to like really turn the gas up and be driven and be ambitious and have goals and strive for things. Yeah. Um, we run the risk of being reactive and saying, I'm, I don't, I don't care. You yeah. know, like I'm not going to be driven. I'm not going to be goal oriented. Like those aren't inherently bad things. They become bad when they're not balanced, when we don't cultivate lives that are, are on and off. And that doesn't mean we should have whiplash lives either. Yeah. Staying up and running on three hours, four hours of sleep a night for the week and then crashing on the weekend and, you know, spending the hours that you are up getting inebriated. That's not a smart move. Yeah. <laughs> that's not balance. Right. But, um, and I think everybody knows that. Even um, if you're trying to like balance the ledger on either side, it doesn't quite work the same way. Right. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, extremes aren't good. Yeah. That's the idea. And that doesn't mean we don't do them. I do them. But yeah but that's not the goal. Right. The goal is to lead a moderate life. Mm -hmm. The goal is to not get too excited, not get too lethargic, mm. not eat too much, but make sure you're nourished Yeah, and use like that as a template for, for all aspects of your life. Got it. Live in this world, but also cultivate a spiritual mm. reality for yourself. Um, okay. So I'm going to move on to the question and, um, We'll see, uh, we'll see if we can help this person at all. All right. All right. Hey, man, I need help with a problem that has plagued me for most of my life and gets in the way of enjoying it. I grew up in a big working class family, and my parents always had aspirations of being wealthy and belonging to country clubs, that sort of thing. The incredible thing is that my siblings and I all managed to realize this dream for them. We're all very successful. But while my brothers and sisters all became successful professionals, I've always been a bit of an outsider. I took longer to realize success for myself and had lots of ups and downs along the way. Ever since I was a kid, I've struggled with being different and wanting to fit in. I would never join a country club and my politics are pretty far to the left. I'd rather cook a meal together than go out to a fancy restaurant and I'd rather go on a vacation with good hiking and culture than a fancy resort like my brothers and sisters. I know these things aren't that strange and I even like these things about myself, but at the same time, 
It doesn't stop me from feeling like I don't fit in and there's something wrong with me. I diminish what I do that would be considered good and often imagine that people don't get me or understand me, which is ridiculous. I'm over 40 and this gets in the way of most relationships that I have. How do I let this go to enjoy the rest of my life? Signed, Black Sheep of Borum Hill. Who probably is not much of a black sheep in that neighborhood. I was going to say, he sound, <laughs> sounds like he's doing good stuff and he's in the perfect neighborhood. There. <laughs> um, what's your fir- any first impressions when you hear that, that question? Does it like what makes sense to you about it? Yeah, I mean, you know, like we were saying before, we look for tribe, we look for yeah. community, yeah, and we look for connection. And in a really clearly in an important sphere of his life, his family that connection isn't there with him and them in the same way that he thinks it is among the rest of them. Yeah. Um, my first thought as you were reading that was you've made this decision. You've made these choices. This Mm -hmm. isn't just one decision that you even meditated on. This has been a life of making this choice to live this life. And it sounds like one that you've done deliberately because it feels good. You right. don't want these other things. Yeah. And so certainly the question isn't, and I don't think, I don't know that he's asking this, but I would never say, so how do we get you in closer to them to appease them? So you feel more connected to them. Right. I he, bet that idea would feel terrible. to him. I bet he's tried it at times. I'm yeah. sure he has. Yeah. Um, when he says, but the, the, the thing that perked my ears up was he says that it affects his relationships mm-hmm. and the relationships that he's trying to cultivate. Yeah. And I don't know who those relationships are with, because yeah. if it's with the people that you and I are pigeonholing is living uh-huh. in Borum Hill, uh-huh. I don't understand that. Yeah. Uh, but it makes more sense if it's him trying to cultivate relationships with the other people at the, at the yacht club right. or, you know, in any of these other places. Like somehow still trying to join those clubs in spite of himself. Exactly. Yeah. He's in his forties. He's been doing this and I'm a huge believer in transformation and metamorphosis. Mm -hmm. And if he wanted to do that and become that other person, um, I think he probably could. I think Mm -hmm. anybody could. Yeah. But from everything that he said there, he's been doing this. And this, again, this is an ongoing life This is a lifestyle choice. Yeah. And it is totally cool for him to be, oh yeah, that's just my crazy uncle. Mm -hmm. Like that's what his nieces and nephews are going to say. Yeah. Like, is that all right? Could he live with that? If like. Exactly. Like would, are you comfortable just being that guy? They, there's a chance that they're not, I use this term loosely, but they may not be judging him as much as he's feeling put on the outside mm-hmm. by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, they may be like, yeah, he's, he's our crazy cousin, sibling kid who lives in Borum Hill, but we love him nonetheless. And that really gets down to the crux of it. Yeah. Do they reject him? Right. Like, and if that's the case, then that opens up a whole other constellation of questions about family and mm-hmm. about what's important and what's not. But, if he's loved, if they embrace him, if it's just he's the weird one with the slightly, you know, tattered pants or the the crazy paisley shirt or whatever it is, <laughs> um, you know, he doesn't sound particularly eccentric, but maybe right. he is. Um, but if he's doing all of that and they're still like, we love you, mm-hmm. then 
honestly, that's all that matters. And in a way that gives him, if he can answer that question in the affirmative, which also means maybe this is something for him to pursue. Maybe that's the question for him to be asking in the simplest terms. Am I loved? And if he is, then, then that gives him license to be himself and gives him the okay to, to not feel the pressure to conform like that. I agree. I agree with, um, where you're going with this. And I think, I think that is sort of a helpful thought experiment. Like what if you tried the opposite? Like how would that feel? Right. Right. And I'm sure that, um, there's a, there would be a visceral sort of distaste for conforming. Um, and he might not do it very well. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Probably not. You got to honor who you are. Um, I certainly can relate personally to the feeling of, um, of not fitting in and, Love is such a funny thing because it's like we we love people in the abstract and then there's like the feeling of being gotten, right? Like you said, like talking about tribes, mm-hmm. like there is a difference between like, of course, we can love someone even with them being different from us, but it feels so special and right when someone truly gets you, you know? And I hope that he does have people like that in his life. He just seems sort of predisposed to thinking he doesn't fit in and he's not doing it right. Um, I think, I mean, this is a kind of question that I think a lot of people in my therapy practice have experienced from time to time. And, and I always sort of wonder, it's like when you hold on to believing that there's something wrong with you in a funny way, it's like holding on to love, uh, for, for your family. Like if you, if you hold on to being the black sheep, you're still a member of the family versus like caring less about it and just being cool with yourself. Well then maybe, um, maybe there'd be more disconnection between you and your family members. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And so that, that seems like a reasonable thing to be afraid of. Um, would you, how would it feel to stand more on your own or to stand with like your chosen family instead of, um, instead of the family you were born into. Yeah. You know, and that's part of community. That's part of connection. That's part of tribe. Mm -hmm. And that is knowing yourself, having your own identity. Yeah. And to your point, sometimes people, their identity starts to crystallize, starts to form as I'm the black sheep of the family. Right. To the point where I'm, I'm not even that much of a black sheep, but that's, that's the badge that got hung on me or I've hung on myself. And sometimes we feel disconnected in relationships with our family or with whether it's genetic family, chosen family, friend, where we actually facilitate conflict in order to feel something. Mm-hmm. Because, and that's a whole other question, but sometimes feeling bad is better than not feeling. Totally. And from the way he's describing it, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to project too much onto that little bit that you read, but the family sounds kind of superficial. They're certainly prioritizing more material things where we're having this conversation about prioritizing an inner, an inner awareness, Mm -hmm. something that's meaningful, that doesn't have a material value, um, stillness and relationships and connection. And, and so that doesn't sound like them. He's not saying, and they're all into some 
weird practice that they all connect over that's right. really meaningful to them and has given them answers mm-hmm. to to life's questions and I just I don't get it. Yeah. Like, that's not what he's saying. Yeah. So he's I mean, I'm proud of him. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I like I like I I I he's I I understand the 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 pain. Yeah. I hear the, or I hear the pain. Yeah. Um that pain that he's describing, I think, is universal. I think mm. that's something that we all experience on a certain level. At some point, we've been outside. We don't feel gotten. We don't feel understood. And he says that. He says he doesn't feel understood. And I think one of the things that I would ask him to ask himself is whether or not being understood is something that could happen in one fell swoop. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, this, you know whether it's him speaking to all of them or wearing something or doing something that just really punctuates like I am this, this is who I am person in the family um could do that that almost seems contrived in a way and I would say what about connecting with them one at a time mm-hmm. and not seeing them as a sort of two-dimensional mass but seeing what he perceives as a two-dimensional mass and pulling at the threads and saying, uncle, whoever, like, yeah. let's go get some coffee yeah. or a drink or yeah. dinner and make the personal connection. I've done that in my family at times. And I know other people who have too, where you start to, it's not as strategic and manipulative as that, but you make more connection at one holiday family get together. Mm-hmm. You connect with that cousin and now you've got a thing. Yeah. And then you do it with somebody else and you start to become more dimensional in their eyes. Mm-hmm. And then again, getting to that end game of I'm the black sheep, but it's cool because they love me and they, and they do know me now. I think if I'm hearing you right, it's like, like there's a certain, certain type of way of being known that to me feels sort of not to, denigrate it but sort of adolescent like you got to know my identity like if you don't like this band or whatever then like you don't get me and in a way I sort of hear that in in the way he's talking about it like if we don't have these superficial things in common then like I'm just the outsider and and you guys don't get me and you're talking about there's like another way to connect with people which is on a deeper like on a conversational level it's not really about interests per se, but just about the feeling of, of just getting to know someone and understand them and feel like they understand you better. Um, and that if you feel that, it really doesn't matter whether like they care about like uh, the like where you want to go on vacation or that they don't want to go on vacation to the same place as you or you don't want to go. Like you can live with that stuff. I feel bad for him that he doesn't feel like his family appreciates him or yeah. quote knows him. But I also feel like if this is something that he sees, then he has an opportunity here to be the champion of connection in the family Mm -hmm. and maybe do a little footwork one-on-one with a couple of people. And before you know it, you know, he's got all of them sitting in a circle holding hands. (laughs) Um, it, but he's got his work cut out for him and to just, and I'm not saying that he is throwing his hands up. I'm saying that that shouldn't even be something he thinks about. Like he's got his work cut out for him. And I, I think we have more in common than we don't. Mm -hmm. And so 
he probably has more, they probably have more common in him, with him mm-hmm. than as individuals yeah. than he realizes, especially if he sees them as them. Yeah. And I, I think the one more thing that I like about what you're saying is like, instead of right now, he seems to be in a place of like self blame and there's something wrong with me. And you're saying like, actually you're like, you're observing something real. Like there is a lack of connection here and you could cultivate it. And actually people would feel better um, feeling closer, like don't, um, the alarm signal that's going off is the right one. It's not, you're just blaming yourself, but actually it's something that's going on in your family. Yeah. Yeah. And he's having experiences as a thoughtful, insightful person who's not just looking up, not just looking forward, but looking around and looking at the depth of things. He's having unsatisfactory experiences. Yeah. And, and so one there's like dealing with his family and figuring out how to approach them. Mm-hmm. Maybe the case that we're already years late on this conversation that sure. he has tried to, he, totally. he's listening to this and he's like, come on guys. Like you think I haven't tried that? You think I haven't tried like speaking directly to these people or sharing with them or asking them about what's meaningful to them. Right. Um, he may have done all this stuff and it may be that they are, profoundly en masse, mm-hmm. minimally dimensional, <laughs> singularly materialistic, horrible people in his eyes. That may be the case, yeah. but that doesn't mean that he can't love them. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that they don't love him. Mm-hmm. And it may just be like, you know, we, we connect because we do have this undeniable bond of a yeah. family connection, but I'm not calling them when I want to go out for a pizza. So before we end, we usually ask our guests if they've been given a piece of advice that's meaningful to them, that stayed with them in their lives. It could be an actual piece of advice, a quote or something that, um, that they've held on to. So I'm wondering what comes to mind for you. Hmm. I'd say the thing that comes to mind probably first is, is the motto from my wife and my daughter's boarding school. Uh-huh. And all right, it's it's Latin. Uh-huh. I'm gonna like hack it. Uh-huh. Uh but it's plus et en vu. Uh-huh. Plus et en vu. And it means more is in you. Uh-huh. Um background on on the school and yeah. where this where this where this comes from. Um the school was started by this guy named Kurt Hahn. What's the school? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, it's the school called Gordonston, uh-huh. and it's up on the north coast of Scotland. Okay, from the UK, uh-huh. um, and it, it it's Hogwarts. Yeah, and um, the school was started by this guy named Kurt Hahn, who had a boarding school in Germany at the beginning of the war, and to make a very long story short, migrated to with his kids with the students to the north coast of scotland Mm -hmm. told the parents this place is going to burn predictably half of them said godspeed get our kids out of here the other ones were like you're crazy no we're going to stay right here so he went up there and he recognized what was going on during this really polarizing dangerous crazy time in germany and he recognized what made people kids citizens um extraordinary, dynamic, rich, um, like 
inherently rich, not financially rich mm -hmm. individuals. And there were four principles that guided this. And it wasn't just about education and it wasn't just about money. Um, there, there, there are four kind of guiding principles to the school. One of them was that you have a strong body, that you take care of your body, mm -hmm. no matter what you think or feel like this, this is at least for now, as far as we know, yeah. this is what you got yeah. and it, and care for it, take care of it. It'll last you a long time if you do. Um, the second principle, you should feel comfortable in nature. There's a world around you in whatever edifice, whether it's, you know, business or religion or anything else that we design and build, no matter what we do in society, nature is where we're from and we should be comfortable in it. It shouldn't be foreign to us and we should care for it and, and be good stewards mm -hmm. of, of the natural world. Um, you should be of service and recognize that no matter who you are and how low down you may feel and how little you feel like you have to offer, you've got something to contribute to the conversation. And that doesn't have to be monetary or material, but that you've got something valuable in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And finally, you should, you should have a hobby. You mm. should have something that you do, not because it's good for you, not because it has nutritional value or you should do it, but something that you do because it makes your heart sing, because yeah. it makes you happy. And these were the things that he prioritized in addition to a base, fundamental, solid education, yeah. but that that academic education was not the beginning and the end of it. And right, material right. gain was not the beginning and the end of it. And it's through these principles that people recognize that they're part of something bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. So this idea of there is more in you mm -hmm. isn't, isn't just about like, you can muscle through this, you yeah. can do more, you can make more, you can have a bigger whatever. It's more reflection that people are awesome. People are compassionate. People are, we achieve things, we are generous, we learn, we care for each other, we care for the planet, we've got these crazy bodies. Mm -hmm. um, we have inner lives to cultivate. Yeah. Um, we're full of all kinds of wonderful things. And that gets lost when we, again, take life and turn it into more of a two-dimensional thing yeah. and lose sight of how broad and how deep we can go. So our potential is fucking incredible. Yeah. And that's part of getting back to the beginning, what I love about what I do and what you do. It's, yeah. it's like we're part of that. We help, we kind of walk the path with our with our patients mm -hmm. we we help people realize these things in themselves right. that they're capable of so much more than they're sometimes told than they sometimes believe in themselves and so yeah man. totally i think anyone who's showing up for any kind of healing work there's like this belief it's there's more to me than this you know like there's yeah. another i can go beyond whatever i'm experiencing right now which i think is such an amazing like drive in people. Totally. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. And so if people want to work with you or, or, uh, it, find out more about you, where, where should they go? So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> our website is, unovacenter.com, which is Y I N O V A C E N T E R.com. Uh, you can also go to Unova dot com and that'll direct right to it. Um, we have locations in 
New York City, three right now. Mm -hmm. And this neighborhood in the Flatiron District, we're on the Upper East Side on 58th Street, and we're in Brooklyn in the Borough Hall area. Mm -hmm. Um, We are a general practice. We've got a lot of really fantastic practitioners, and we all are herbalists as well. We do body work. And um, if you've never tried acupuncture before, it's... It's a really, really good thing to do. It it will one of the great things about acupuncture in Chinese medicine, <coughs> excuse me, is it's such a different way to see your body. Mm-hmm. Not better, not worse, or more or less than conventional medicine, but it it it's a new perspective and it's a different language that is really accessible. And so it gives people it gives them agency over their own health because they understand, oh, this is what's going on. Big words like staphylococcus, like what the hell does that mean? Whereas the language itself of Chinese medicine um, sounds weird and poetic, like wind and cold and dampness and stuff like, but it's super specific and really, really good at describing what we experience in a way that's just like, oh, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And when your body makes sense to you and you understand it, then you're you're much better able yeah. to to make changes. Totally. Awesome. Thank you so much, Noah. Thank you. All Thank right. you very much. All right, that's it for our show this week. Thanks everyone for listening. If you have a question that you want some advice on, please email us at heymanpod at gmail.com or better yet, give us a call 917-426-4326 and leave us a voicemail. All questions if they make it on the show, are anonymous. No need to worry. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at HeyManPod. And if you have a moment, give us a review, Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. And better yet, click subscribe. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Peace. Peace.